0: Visit our website at fbcloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks and enjoy the latest from FBC. I had to um, hurry and change today. Um, I don't know, I, I, and I and I didn't quite make it in here just right at the beginning. I was rushing because I wanted to get here for the song just before the video um, because Neil and Barry wrote that uh, song, and debuted it here for us uh, today uh, for the first time. And so we're pretty excited about that. We are so blessed to have that kind of talent and ability here at the church that they would be able to write that. And then just a special thing for us for Easter, special thing for you this Easter from them. So um, thank you very much to them. Yeah, for sure. Again, I just want to say welcome to uh, those of you that are joining us here for the baptisms, family and friends that have come for that, those of you that are joining us online, uh, those of you that are just here for Easter and so on, we're excited to have you with us. And um, we are in the middle of a series on on the book of Hebrews, which is kind of maybe a little bit odd because it's not maybe one of the go-to passages, if you will, for an Easter Sunday service. But as we've come up to Good Friday and now for Easter Sunday, we've been working through specifically the uh, book of Hebrews in chapters 9 and chapters 10. And I think that you'll agree that they lend themselves very uh, appropriately to Easter, Good Friday and Easter, this whole season that we're in right now. And if you didn't already get an opportunity to watch the Good Friday service, uh, Pastor Bruce did just an amazing job walking us through Hebrews 9 and paralleling that with uh, the events of Christ's crucifixion and his death and just how significant that is for us. So I would really encourage you to go back and take a look at uh, the Hebrew or the Good Friday service as Pastor Bruce unpacked Hebrews 9. And it, it sets the stage now for us as we come into Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews has been very, very carefully building his case for Christ since the very beginning of the book. He wants us to know who Jesus Christ is. He wants us to understand fully what he has done for us. He wants us then to be able to recognize what, how that is important to us, how that's relevant to each one of us, in order that then we would be able to make a decision to follow him, and so that's what's been going on. And as we reach now, chapter 10, we've reached really the culmination of his case for Christ, as it were. He's this is the, the apex of his argument about Jesus and what he's accomplished. And so, as we come to chapter 10, then he reiterates basically what he's unpacked in chapter 9 just once more, one more underlining of what Christ has done, the fact that his his sacrifice was sufficient, and that it satisfied God's justice, and then what we have as a result of that. So as we come to chapter 10, in the first number of verses, the first 18 verses, then we see that he's covered off once more four basic facts. He talks about the fact that the old law, the old covenant, required repeated offerings, which is to say that it wasn't sufficient to save us. Secondly, then, he points out and he underlines again that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient, that it was all that was necessarily necessary. In that one sacrifice, it accomplished everything that God demanded. So in that respect, then, Christ's sacrifice completely provides for the problem of sin. That it solves our problem of sin, which we couldn't accomplish on our own. And then he also points out one more time that now God is, or that Jesus is now seated in the presence of God. That he paid that sacrifice on the cross, and that then he is now moved to the presence of God in heaven. So as we consider this idea then, as we recognize, as we see, as the author points out for us, the fact that Christ has now moved into the presence of God in heaven, we understand that the resurrection, Christ's resurrection, is a foregone conclusion in in the writer's mind. He takes that as a foregone conclusion. He doesn't even stop really to talk about the resurrection of of Christ, other than to say that he has risen and is now in the presence of God. That he is no longer dead, but that he now sits in the presence of God. Thereby we understand that the resurrection has taken place. And you're sitting here this morning and you're going, well, but, but dude, like, what are, what are you talking about? The resurrection of Christ is a foregone conclusion in this author's mind? Like, what's going on in his head? Like, The resurrection is huge. And it is. There's no doubt about it. But this wasn't even really uncommon for the apostles or other writers of the New Testament, what have you. They they took for granted that the resurrection and and the Christ's death, his sacrifice, were synonymous. And they approached it on that level. That you can't have one without the other. Christ died, but at the very same time, he rose again. Christ rose again, therefore we understand that he died. And so they very much consider it and approach it as a unit, as an integral thing. So he's moved past it to this idea that Christ is now seated with God in heaven. Now, for you and I, that seems abrupt to just move past it and move right on to that thing, especially at Easter. We want to talk about the resurrection. So let's just stop and go back and remember a little bit what was going on as the writer was writing this, the time that he was writing it. Remember, he was writing at about uh, 60 A.D., sometime in the 60s A.D. They really strongly believe that this was written before 70 A.D. for sure, which was the d- destruction of the temple. And it's, that's never referenced here. So that that's significant an event would have been referenced we would expect in this book written to, this letter written to Jewish Christians at the time. So 60s AD, if you will, which is then roughly just 30 years-ish after the death of Christ, which is to say that that's not that long ago. There would have been people around that would have remembered that, that would have been eyewitnesses of that fact still circulating at this time. As a matter of fact, some of the people to whom the writers may be writing, might have been eyewitnesses themselves of Christ. The the writer himself might have been an eyewitness of Christ's resurrection. But there's no doubt that there would have been people that would have been there within the proximity that would have been able to testify firsthand to Christ's resurrection. So for them then, that was maybe not nearly such a big omission as maybe it is for us. The other thing that is important here, too, is that as the writer writes about what is going on, as he's focusing his audience's attention then and our attention now on Christ's now being seated at the right hand of God, he doesn't leave faith at Christ's resurrection. He doesn't leave our faith at the empty tomb. And I want to come back to that in a few minutes, but keep that in mind as we talk about this here a little bit this morning. Before I get to that part, though, because this is Easter, and because we are focused today on the fact that Christ rose again, I want to go back and actually take a little bit of a look at that. And we're going to do so by looking at what Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 to 23. Now remember what I said earlier. For most of the writers of the New Testament, for for most of the people that were testifying as to Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done, you can't have Christ's death without the resurrection. You can't have the resurrection without Christ's death. Without either of those things, our faith falls apart. Which is to say, if Christ didn't die, then there's not forgiveness of sins. And if He didn't rise again from the dead, then there is not forgiveness from God. The, the sacrifice was not sufficient. So keep that in mind. And Paul helps us to unpack that and to understand that a little bit as he, as he writes to us through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 to 23. There Paul says this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul doesn't pull punches. And I appreciate the fact here that he just lays it out really straight up. If Christ is still dead, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then we're preaching nonsense. Anything that you think of to believe in that, any reason that you have to believe in that is, is pointless, it's futile. Those things have to be in place, and Paul doesn't doesn't shrink from that. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. So he takes it a step further. He says, if those things aren't in place, if you believe it, you're lost. Pointless. You're crazy. But what's more is then we become false witnesses because we very much are preaching this. We are saying this straight up. We're not shying away from it. We're not trying to hide it. We're making it central to our faith that those things had to happen. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, which is to say others that have died, believing in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are the most, we are, are of all people most to be pitied. He says, if If this faith that we have is only as good as it lasts for us right now in this circumstance, our circumstances, in this life, then we're most to be pitied because our faith has nothing for us when it's going to matter the most. But, Paul continues, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, which is to say the first and the most important, it's just an Old Testament term. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So, for since death came through a man, which is to say Adam, sin entered the world through Adam as he sinned in the garden, Adam and Eve. And as sin entered the world, then came death, because we understand that that was the consequence of sin. sin. So as death came through a man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus Christ. Life comes again through one man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, because we all sin, just as Adam has sinned, we all sin, therefore death is ours, it's our inheritance from our sin. So So in Christ then, all will be made alive. Because through Christ comes righteousness. What we were just singing about. Holiness. Our righteousness. Is afforded us by Christ's sacrifice. But each in turn. Paul says. This is the way. This is the order that 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 happens. Christ. The first fruits. Which is to say that Christ. Rises first. And did. He was the first and the best of this crop that is to come. He rose first. Then, when He comes back again, those who belong to Him. Then, when Christ returns, then the rest of us who belong to Christ will rise too. This morning, as we look at this, as we understand Christ's death and His resurrection, then we recognize that for those that belong to Him, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are trusting in Him for having paid their penalty of sin, then we are made alive today. And that even though we are still to face physical death, our physical death cannot stop us. That will not be the end of us either we will be raised again, made alive through Jesus Christ. That being the case then, this being the case, we see that Easter, Christ's death and resurrection, is then the culmination of our faith. Those things have to go together And that as they do then, that our faith is solidified, it is unified, it is full, it is complete, and it is sufficient. Christ's sacrifice was accepted by God as He was raised again to life. His resurrection then proves for us today His sacrifice's acceptability before God the Father. If it had not been acceptable to God, if that had not paid the penalty of sin, there would be no life left. Death would have won. But in Christ, that sacrifice was sufficient. And therefore, then, it was acceptable before God. Christ was raised from the dead, and through him, then, we have this opportunity of eternal life. But also, at Easter, through Christ's death and resurrection, we recognize that our faith is then well-founded in Jesus Christ, that we can stand on that firmly, that we don't have to shrink, we don't have to doubt, we don't have to live in fear anymore of death because of what He's done, that we're not a bunch of religious nutbars running around with hopes in some abstract mumbo-jumbo, but rather that God, who from the very beginning has been pointing out and giving us a path, pointing the way to who Jesus is going to be. Pointing out how significant He is to each one of us by virtue of who He was, what He did, and what He offers now to us. That we are well-founded in following that, finding that, following that, and committing to it for the rest of our lives. Placing our faith solidly on Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, our faith goes to pot. There's nothing here to talk about. We're wasting our time this morning. But in Jesus Christ, our faith is secure. Our faith is solid. You can take it to the bank and it is then worth basing your life and living your life on going forward. Is that not a reason to celebrate today? But that's not all. That's not everything. So oftentimes I'm afraid that that's where we leave it. That We come to that point We look at Jesus. We examine the evidence. We follow that trail that God has left us. And we make a decision. Yeah, you know what? I believe that uh, that's Jesus. I believe that he is God. I believe that he came to deal with this problem of sin. I believe that that was a big enough deal, a big enough problem that God actually had to send his son to solve that problem because we couldn't do it on our own. And I'm ready now to place my faith in Jesus. And we leave our faith at the empty tomb. He's risen. Awesome. I have eternal life for me one day when I die. But we have to ask another question before we just leave it at that this morning. We have to ask another question. Why? Why? is that so important? Why am I so important? Why am I so significant to God? Why is it that eternal life with Him is so significant that He would send His Son to die in order to accomplish that for you and for me? What's up with that? And the answer that we find again throughout Scripture is a relationship. That from the very beginning of time, God has wanted relationship with you and with me, with each one of us. That He saw us coming before we could even see ourselves. That He knew exactly who He was creating you to be, what He wanted you to do, all so that He could have relationship with Him, that we could have relationship with Him, that He could have relationship with us. Not just in heaven. but today too starting now and that brings us then back to Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25 therefore the writer of Hebrews says therefore based on everything that he's just been talking about in chapter 9 based on everything that he's been talking about up to chapter 9 throughout the book of Hebrews based this this whole discussion this whole case for Christ based on that then and specifically now based on his sacrifice Made for us sufficiently before God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence now to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, just as Bruce unpacked for us on Friday, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, by virtue of the fact that now the separation that we had with the curtain from the curtain is now removed because of Christ's body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Once again, for those of us that belong to God, that have made that profession of faith, that have placed our trust in Him. Christ's death and resurrection Easter is the culmination of our salvation. But for each one of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, call Him our Lord and Savior, our trusting in Him for our salvation moving forward, then we also every bit as much need to understand Easter as in an inauguration. Not just the culmination, but in an inauguration of our renewed relationship with God. The opportunity where we can draw near to Him, not just in the future, not just in heaven one day, but starting now because God wants that relationship with each one of us now today. Easter is not just the culmination, it is the inauguration of a life in which we can know God and his presence in our lives. Bruce talked about that fact before. Up until that time, the time of Christ's salvation or Christ's sacrifice's death then the people were always removed from him. The priests had to be even a go-between in between the people and God. The priest to the high priest. Then the priest only once a year. The people were removed. But now through Christ, we have the ability to know God personally and his presence with us in our lives. Amen. Easter inaugurates a restored relationship for God with God for all that want it. So this morning as we come together as we go home and as we celebrate around the table whatever you do remember the narrative of Easter. It starts off with Christ saying, It is finished. Then come the words, He is risen. Which are then followed by the words, Draw near to God. It is finished. He is risen. Now, today, Draw near to God. The writer of Hebrews has been arguing for, for a decision. His case demands a verdict this morning for each one from each one of us. Who is this Jesus? Who have you decided that Jesus is? Was he just a guy? Was he just a historical figure? Or is he who the writer of Hebrews says he is, that he was actually God come to earth for us? Was he just a good teacher? Had some great ideas? A nice fellow with good morals? Or was he the son of God come to lead a perfect life so that then he could offer his life for ours on the cross? Where is he today? In your minds, where is he today? Is he dead in a tomb somewhere? No longer a factor? Or is he seated at the right hand of God the Father, today making intercession for us, making a way for us to know and draw near to God? Is he important to you? Will you place your faith in him and trust him for a renewed relationship with God and for an eternity with him together one day? I pray that you'll make that decision. Just as Marissa and Brianna have come to that conclusion and have taken that step forward in their faith this morning, I pray that we would all, each one of us, come to that same conclusion. We would make that decision to place our faith in Christ this Easter. If you need help with that, if you still have a couple of questions, something just still doesn't quite fit together quite right in your mind, come and talk to me. Talk to Bruce. Talk to any of the staff. Maybe someone that brought you. Get that sorted out. Don't miss out. Online, reach out to us. Online, you can make a comment. You can call the church. We'd love to talk to you. But don't wait. Make this Easter count in your life on account of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, Lord, it's been nice to come to church. It has been good to be here. But Lord, I pray that it hasn't just been a nice occasion, that we haven't watched a couple of cute videos and that we'll go away having missed you today. So I pray to that end that by now now by your spirit that you would work in our hearts and our minds. For those of us that don't know you yet, that you would connect those dots for us, that you would help us to find your evidence, that we would be able to see it as sufficient, that we would place our faith in you. And for those of us that have, Lord, that we would, again, not just leave it at an empty tomb that we would take our faith now and make it real real as we draw near to you, that we would know you and that we would know the presence of you in our lives in such a way that we would be different people, and that you would use us to be a testimony to what you have done to the rest of the world around us that don't know you yet. For I ask all of these things now in Christ's name. Amen.